if you're not an asshole in someone else's story, you probably don't have healthy boundaries. And I like that one because, again, it goes back to the willingness to be seen as an asshole in someone else's narrative, I think is a prerequisite to being an adult. another episode of Dear Men. This one is perfect for the holidays, the upcoming holidays, and the one that just passed, which is part of what inspired it. Today, we're talking about boundaries with family. Welcome back to the podcast, Violet. So good to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and talk about one of my most favorite subjects. (laughs) Yeah. So I have lots of things to say about this topic. And I, I just kind of want to start by talking about um, just maybe on a personal level for each of us, what it was like before setting boundaries with family and then what it was like to start setting boundaries with family. Because I think that there's, it's a process. It's not just an overnight, all of a sudden I'm great at boundaries and I set them every time and I hold them every time and everything's great. My experience was not like that at all. I doubt yours was either. So I'm just, um, yeah, wanting to hear a little bit about what life pre-boundaries was like and and then kind of moving into how we started setting them. So um, what was your life like pre-boundaries? Pre-boundaries, I felt guilty a lot. I'm still working on that. I think it's a lifelong journey for some people. And I also would get really far down the road with a project or a commitment to an activity or even a relationship And I would have to extract myself over and over again. So it was really draining and took a lot of energy to say yes when I meant no, and then isolate myself or withdraw and have to explain why, or, you know, have to back out of something at the last minute, which never felt good. And then kind of perpetuated this, I feel ashamed of who I am. So I need to say yes to people, please people, and then be overcommitted. Yeah, that's a great example. (laughs) Um, And what about specifically with family what was life like pre pre boundaries with family pre boundaries with family and i have a pretty intense family dynamic but pre boundaries with family of origin i really felt kind of like i was walking on eggshells i felt a little bit nauseous i felt confused there was a lot of tension in my shoulders and my face and i felt um like i needed to cope which oftentimes was sugar or alcohol, or, you know, just um, anything to kind of alleviate the stress. And I also would just say that I didn't really have a good sense of myself. Yeah. And I would say that my experience pre-boundaries was basically just being enmeshed with my mom and not even being aware of the need for boundaries. Like, oh, if mom's upset, I have to do everything I possibly can as fast as I possibly can to to mitigate that and to fix it. And there was no sense of kind of me as a person separate from her that could have autonomy or say like, no, I'm not gonna, you know, 
cuddle your feelings right now. Or like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to choose to show up for that. It was just like a, like I'm thinking of like two cells that are just like one cell. Like there was no separate me really for like quite a long time. And so my experience was just sort of, I lived and died by her emotional state essentially. So if she was okay, I was okay. If she wasn't okay. I wasn't okay. There was no, she's not okay. And I'm okay. And I think for me, that's really the root of healthy boundary setting is the ability to say, I'm setting myself up for success and health. And if this other person is pissed about that, I have a resilient enough system that I can tolerate their upset. I can tolerate their upset and I don't have to fix it. That compulsive, like having to fix it thing for me, in my experience is enmeshment. So, um, yeah, so I wanted to give a couple of concrete examples since we do have the holidays coming up of examples of boundary crossing and how to set boundaries around family. Um, and before we go into that, I think that it's interesting. You know, I read a study once that was talking about indicators of success in romantic relationships. And they said that one of the number one indicators had nothing to do with educational status or the, the quality of the match or where they met or all of the things that you might think of how many friends they had in common, things like that. The number one indicator was actually have each of the people in the couple individuated from their family of origin have each has each person individuated. And, um, I know that I said that I was going to do this thing and now we're doing this other thing, but I think it's worth just talking about what that word means because some people aren't aware of what individuation means. Do you have a definition you like of what individuation is? From my experience, individuation is where you come back to yourself as an individual over and over again. It's not like you do it once. Every time that you become close with a partner, you have an opportunity then afterwards to re-individuate. So it's like you come together and you merge and then you individuate and then you merge. And in a healthy relationship, there's space for both. And that means that you've spent enough time and enough energy in the individuation phase of things that when you merge, you don't lose yourself, you don't project onto your partner or receive their projections, and you feel anchored so that you aren't afraid of abandonment or afraid of engulfment. You, you basically are creating a secure attachment style. But if you just individuate without also creating intimacy, then that can be more avoidant. So individuation is a good antidote to enmeshment. Yeah. And to make it concrete, I remember I was, um, involved with a family. I was a tutor for this family and the mom and dad, basically the dad had not individuated from his family of origin. So his mother had a lot to do with the family and the decision-making. And so his wife, the mom really didn't feel in control of her kid's education and she didn't feel like if she went to her husband that he would kind of take her side and and trust her and that they would be a team in in the stewardship of their own family. And I believe there were also some financial dynamics at play. I think the mom was supporting them somehow. I don't I don't know all the details, but what I witnessed was just kind of this sense of powerlessness and despair that she had and just feeling so unprotected and just un I don't know what the word is even, but it was really disheartening to witness because it felt like he wouldn't stand up for her. He wouldn't stand up for his woman 
with his mother. And so there was this weird enmeshed dynamic. And as an outsider looking in, it was obvious to me that, you know, she was overeating, she was drinking alcohol, she was doing things to sort of manage her experience around feeling, I think, a little betrayed. Like if I were her, I would have felt sort of betrayed over and over. Like you, you're not standing up to your mom and, and defending me. And that feels bad. It doesn't feel like we're a team. It feels like you're kind of under her thumb and therefore I am too. And it's just, it's not, I think that's a concrete example of he had not yet individuated from his family of origin and it had a direct impact on his relationship and his children really, because everyone was, I don't know, it was just a, it was a weird dynamic. And I think it's kind of an example of that's what we're talking about when we're talking about individuation is it, it, it does affect directly affect your partner and your own sort of well-being. And I'm glad you mentioned that part about individuation from the family, because the way I was talking about it is more within a relationship and kind of attachment style. But in terms of individuation from your family of origin, it's about deciding who are you, what do you believe, what are your values, and what are your boundaries, like both your wants and your preferences and your needs, but also your non-negotiables. And then furthermore, having the insight to know what feels good in your body so that you can tell and sense, okay, this is mine, like my trigger or my need or my desire versus this is someone else's. So part of the individuation feels like to me coming back home into yourself and learning how to trust yourself in relationships. Yeah. And I think one of the simplest boundaries that we can start with in terms of the holidays and family of origin is do you go home for the holidays? So a boundary that it's possible to set is I'm choosing not to go this year. And a lot of people I've seen online are talking about the celebration of COVID giving them cover for not going home for the holidays. And I understand that as a, I understand that. And I think it indicates the level, like how, how scary it is to set boundaries and how it can be a relief to have an excuse to set boundaries. But really my intention with this podcast is to inspire anyone listening that you do not need to wait for COVID to set a boundary. If you know that going home from the holidays, going home for the holidays is toxic to your health, your mental health, your physical health, because these kinds of stressors really do affect us in ever, on every level. If you already know that it's really, really stressful for you to go home for the holidays, you are allowed to just not go. You don't need an excuse like COVID. You can just decide I'm choosing not to go, or I'm choosing to go for fewer days, or I'm choosing to go, but I'm not going to stay in the house. I'm choosing to stay with a friend or I'm choosing to stay at a hotel and come over, but have my own space. Because I think what I learned when I was learning boundaries, which I'm still learning, is that it's kind of like, it's kind of like I've heard that for alcoholics, <laughs> the, the, the test is not, can I go into a bar where they're serving alcohol and say no, right? That's not setting yourself up for success. Setting yourself up for success is not going to the bar. And I think that's kind of analogous to home for the holidays with difficult family. If, if you know that you get really triggered repeatedly, you're placing yourself in an environment where that's going to happen. So an easy way of not doing that is not placing yourself in the environment. It doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you, because I think one of the things that I used to think was like, oh, I should be able 
to spend time around this person. That's really, really hard for me. I should be able to, I should be strong enough. I should know how to do this. And what I've come to realize is it's actually, that's actually not the healthiest position. It's, it's like, okay, that's like level 10 on the video game, but I'm starting at level two on the video game. I have to go through the other levels. So yeah, level 10 is I can be around this toxic person. But even that to me is, is sort of like, I think it's somewhat of an illusion. I think there's a lot of value to just removing yourself from the toxic environment. Then that's sort of the move. So I'm wondering, cause I think that you said before the call, you said that you had some, some uh, experience with sort of stepping closer to that decision of just not going. <laughs> and I'm wondering if you can talk through, you know, what that was like for you. Definitely. And I just want to reiterate, I think I read somewhere, I have to find the source, that only 16% of adults have a good relationship with their parents. So very low percent actually say they have a good relationship. So if you're considering setting a boundary of any kind while you're listening to this, but think that you're out of the ordinary, you're not. And so it's good to remember that there's no shame in setting a boundary. I think there's a bit of spiritual bullying sometimes like, oh, well, if I'm really enlightened, no one will bother me. Or if I do get a trigger, it's my fault. Or I don't think he was meant to, meaning it to be bullying, but there's that Ram Dass quote. If you think you're enlightened, go home for the holidays. But then people kind of take it on of like, okay, well, I'm going to just, um, keep working on myself so that I can endure this. But if you were enduring some sort of punishment, you could also just say, I don't want to be punished anymore. I don't have to get stronger and build a thicker skin. I can also just walk away uh, from this situation. And I understand there may be certain dynamics that it's harder to walk away, but to make a long story short, when I was starting to set boundaries with my family, at first it was just about choosing some self-care while I was with them. So I would say, okay, I need to go work out or I'm going to go read, or I'm going to go meet up with one of my friends who is from high school that I haven't seen, you know, in a long time, but I'm home for the holidays. It would just be getting pockets of reprieve from the intensity of being in that situation. And then I would also do things like reach out to my therapist or reach out to friends. So I would have a place to, to vent, but this is gosh, a while back, like I want to say 2012, 2013, And so I would just find things that I considered to be pleasurable and part of self-care and go do on, go do on my own. And then as I got stronger with setting boundaries, I would say things like, I don't want to talk about that, or that makes me feel uncomfortable, or, you know, I'm just going to go in the other room because I don't want to be part of this conversation. And then sometimes I would stand up and be like, that doesn't feel good to me. Like, I think that's wrong. And I would be bring more of my you know, there's fight, flight, or freeze. So in the beginning, I was taking a lot of flight to take care of myself and then be, and then doing a little more, a little more fight. But at some point, if you're always fighting or flighting or freezing, it, it gets exhausting. So then I decided to have more direct conversations. There was a, there was a time where we had all, I mean, our family always fought over the holidays. There was always a massive blowout. So it was just, there's so much unearthed trauma that you can't be around each other for longer than a few days without there just being a massive blowout because there's so much, it's like a powder keg. But in addition then to doing the self-care and having the conversations, we had a really challenging experience in October of one year because we had gone to a family wedding and I'm the one who surfaced it. I said, you know, given how intense these last few days have been, I think it'd be nice if we all just had some space and just didn't do Christmas this year because we just saw each other in October. Like, let's just take a little space. So I kind of brought it up as a casual idea 
even though it's something I had thought about for a while and everyone agreed. So it wasn't just my boundary. It was kind of a family boundary. But then the subsequent two or three years, I said the same thing. I was like, you know, I I just, I'm not going to come home for Christmas. I'll be honest. Sometimes I told white lies, like I don't have the finances right now, or I can't take the time because I'm busy with work. And if you need to do that, you're not an evil person. It's okay to say what you need to say to protect yourself. And then that led to me being able to set stronger and stronger boundaries. Unfortunately, one of the reasons I had to set those boundaries is because the last Christmas that I spent at home was in 2011, I believe. And it had a major negative impact on the person I was dating at that time. I really turned into someone that I don't like. And I saw how being around my family of origin, um, I can't blame them, but it, it just created this pattern in me that I became toxic with my person that I was dating. And then a bunch of other things happened that I won't necessarily get into, but it's like, I could see just how big of an impact it was having. And then I had to choose myself. Yeah. There's a couple of things that I want to pull out there. And the first one is there's, there are stages to boundary setting. And one of them that you mentioned was knowing that you need to take the space and coming up with an excuse to take the space, which is I don't have the finances. And I feel like that's a completely reasonable and acceptable kind of like um, stepping stone to the next phase of boundary setting. And I guess I just really want to legitimize and acknowledge the reasons for it. Because I think that sometimes one of the reasons that we don't set boundaries is because we feel like we're being selfish and we feel like we like a lot of the times it's either I'm being selfish by not going or I'm letting someone down. Like I'm letting down my nieces and nephews. I'm letting down people, other people in the family system that I care about. And the thing that you have to remember is you're sacrificing yourself. At at a certain point, if you are being around toxic family members takes a toll. And that's kind of the thing that I want to communicate strongly here is that that is a real toll. That isn't something to take lightly. It's something to really evaluate and understand. And the effect, because what you just described is it compromised your relationship. So the person that you became because you were around that toxic system again, wasn't really someone that you wanted to be. It was uncomfortable. I'm guessing it felt bad in your body. It's kind of crazy making. It's just, it's really, it's a sacrifice for you to go and be around it. And so you need to weigh that against the, the kind of like reasons for it. And that can be a really tough like appraisal, but I just, I really want to legitimize like your mental health matters, your physical safety matters. And I'm not talking about safety from being physically hit. I'm talking about your stomach churning. I'm talking about the headaches you get. I'm talking about the tension in your shoulders. I'm talking about your physical body taking on the shape of bracing for emotional attack or walking on eggshells because you're never sure where the next kind of emotional hit is going to come from. Like I'm talking about being around toxic family members and that toll, that stress is really, really compromising on your health and you need to take it seriously. I guess that's, that's what I want to say is it's, it's, it's completely acceptable on your journey to give a, like you said, Violet, like a white lie or some other reason to remove yourself from the situation, whether that's in the moment, like, oh, I have a really bad headache. I'm going to go take a nap 
just get yourself out of the room or out of the house, it's completely acceptable for you to say something that's not true for you to protect your health. In those circumstances, that is that is a way that you're taking care of yourself and something that should be taken seriously. Absolutely. And I also just want to share, this has been said before, I don't know who originally shared it, but no is a complete sentence. So if you decide that you don't want to explain or justify, you don't have to justify. That's something I learned from my somatic therapist that was very helpful. Just say no and don't explain why, because it actually almost kind of weakens your power. Not that it's a power struggle, but when you justify, then someone can attack your rationale and your reason versus when you just say, this doesn't work for me. Or I like, I'm not available for that. Yes. <laughs> That's no. one that I use that I feel like is pretty, pretty neutral and helps. I have found has helped me. Um, I also just want to share that um, the, the last part of, of the journey that I didn't mention is that you can also, as you're setting a boundary, say, and here's what I would need for that to be different. So it doesn't have to be like the door is locked shut. It can say, you know, this is what doesn't work for me. But if we were able to do X, Y, Z, then that would feel really good. And a somewhat healthy, mature person should then be able to say like, okay, well then I'm up for this part of what you propose, but not this. And you can craft and create a solution that works. But a hallmark of someone who, you know, we're calling toxic is they don't respect your boundaries. They don't care to understand your boundaries. And they're not up for any sort of kind of like, conversation about what it would take in order for both of you to feel comfortable. There's just blame or shame or, you know, pushing it away or guilt. Yeah. And that, and a, one example of that is if you tell your uncle Rod that you don't want him asking about your love life, like, Hey, I'd really appreciate it. If we don't talk about that. And then he keeps talking about it. That's a boundary crosser. Right. And if you assert yourself and you're like, it actually makes me kind of uncomfortable when you ask me whether I'm seeing anyone, I'd really rather not talk about that. If he says, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that. I'm, I, I apologize. Yeah. We don't need to talk about that. That's an example of a safe and healthy person. When you assert a boundary, you then get to see how the other person responds. Right. So asserting a boundary does not mean that the person is going to respect it or not. It's not a magical you know, fence that you're throwing up. It's a test of that person's capacity to receive that. That's what it is. When you assert a boundary, you're saying, here's the line that I don't want you to cross. And then you get to see what they do. And that should dictate your next move. Because if uncle Rod can't stop asking you about it, now it's time to reassert your boundary and leave the room, right? It's time to, to sort of take the next step around, okay, this person has now shown you that this is how they behave and they're obviously not emotionally safe. So then what is the next move? And I think that that's the part, like for me, part of what setting a boundary, what was so tough about it for me was I didn't really believe people were going to honor it. I think because I didn't have that experience a lot growing up, I was like, what's the point? I'm not actually going to be heard in my boundary. There's no point in me asserting a boundary because it's not going to work. And it's emotionally, I think, vulnerable and risky to set a boundary because it's kind of scary. Like, is this person going to respect it or not? Am I overreaching? Am I selfish for saying this, for asserting a boundary? Even if it's just like, I would love if you didn't ask me whether I was single. <laughs> like, I don't really want to talk about my love life at Thanksgiving or at Hanukkah. 
And um, I think it's really brave to make those sort of assertions. And I guess the thing that I really just want to get across is that it is your job to track what that person does with your boundary. It is not your job to make them, you know, uh, honor it because some people aren't, they're not capable of doing that. Someone with borderline personality disorder, for example, they're not really that capable. And, and therefore that then becomes like, okay, well, in order to take care of myself, that means that I'm not coming home for Hanukkah. Right. There's then like, it's, it makes it easier to assert the next step. Like this is not a safe environment for me. Therefore I'm now taking the next step, which can be, you know, in the borderline community, they call it going LC or going NC. So going LC is going low contact and going NC is going no contact. And depending on how toxic the behavior is and how much of a stressor it is on your system, you get to decide. So like I said, some of the safety measures you can put in place are not staying at the house. So not staying at the house is a great one because you actually get physical distance. You have a safe place to go retreat to or, um, choosing to go for fewer days. <laughs> like I'm not coming for seven days. I'm coming for two days because that's what my system can tolerate. And I'm taking the night to go hang out with my friends or just get in my car and get, you know, go for a drive. You know, you're always allowed to sort of remove yourself. I would just say, if you're noticing that you need to take a lot of time and space away and you're coming away really stressed and anxious, it's time to consider not going. It's time to consider the boundary of not going home for the holidays. You are not obligated. And um, as we sort of start to wrap up here, I'm wondering if you could just touch on a few of the reasons why, um, why you might've not set a boundary earlier than you did. So like loss, like fearing loss, losing love or whatever it was that like, why do you think it's so hard for us to, to set the boundary and then hold it? Yes. And I want to just share one other thing that came to me, which is that you can also maybe decide to spend time with the people that you care about when it's not over the holidays. You can say, I'm not going to the holidays this year, but you know what? This is a sort of relationship I want to have with this sibling or with this parent. We think, okay, it's a family. So it's this one big blob that I have to say yes or no to, but you can cultivate and be intentional about which relationships. And you might find that some people have a different capacity one-on-one than in a group. And so maybe you don't really like being around them when the whole family's around, but you can have lunch with them in the spring or whatever, meet up with them a different time. So the things that kept me from setting a healthy boundary was not trusting myself, thinking that I was crazy, thinking that if I was a better person, that I would be able to handle things, Uh, having been bullied in times when I did set a boundary or shamed, second guessing myself then, and it not feeling comfortable in my system. So I would just dissociate, kind of flee from from the scene. And at a certain point, that felt like the safest option. But then I realized how much it was draining me, like you said, and how much I was betraying myself. I work with a lot of my clients about not self-abandoning. Like, why do I get ghosted? Why do I get cheated on? Why do these things happen? But where are the moments where you're abandoning yourself by not saying anything, by not setting a boundary, by saying yes when you mean no, and all those other micro moments where we dissociate from people or from our lives. The other thing that kept me from setting a boundary is because there was a really big thing or things that I needed to talk about with my family. And I felt like if I set a boundary, what I need to explain why, and was I ready to explain the big why? (laughs) And so 
I was afraid to make smaller boundaries. But what I found is as I made smaller boundaries, it became easier to eventually talk about the big why. And I didn't get as much push, pushback as I expected. I think we we think, well, I'm going to be shamed. I'm going to be blamed, all of these things. But I find that if you hold your ground, they may do that a few times. And then eventually, if you haven't been home in three or four years, they're not going to be like, oh my God, why aren't you coming home? And my family never really said it in that way anyway. Um, the other thing that was really important to me is not feeling guilt tripped, not feeling guilt tripped, not just by the person I set the boundary with, but by other people. So sometimes you, you set a boundary with person A and person B will say, oh, they really didn't like it that you did that. Or if you were a good daughter, you would know that your mom really needs you home at this time. And so stealing yourself or preparing yourself that it might not even be the person you're setting the boundary with. It might be other people in the constellation of the family. So sometimes we might be afraid of other people's pressures, but just knowing that anyone who's going to bully you or shame you for your boundaries is probably not someone who's thinking of you or your best interests anyway. So it's a matter of survival, but it's also a matter of thriving. I like to think about boundaries as like a cell membrane. A cell takes in what it needs and it, ex it expels what it doesn't need. And if something comes to it that it's not supposed to have, it won't recognize that molecule or whatever it is and it won't be able to absorb it. And so you can have more porous boundaries, like you said, where if you set a, if you set a boundary and someone respects it, you're like, oh, you're good for me. I want more time with you. Come on in, you know? And if you set a boundary and they don't respect it, then you can say, oh, okay, poison. Like, I'm not going to say yes to that anymore. Um, people can change. So that, that can vary over time, but it's, it's more of a dynamic process than it is about something rigid. Although they, the boundaries may become more rigid later as you realize how good it feels to set healthy boundaries. Yeah. And one thing that I, I just want to tell a quick story. We had a client who had never, I mean, this is probably 20 or 30 years had never told his dad that he didn't want him asking about his, his love life. Like, I don't want you to ask whether I'm single. Yes, I'm still single. I don't, if that changes, I'll let you know. But until then, please stop asking. And he finally told him and his dad is sort of like you said, there was less pushback than expected. His dad was like, Oh, all right. Yeah. Like he didn't really have a problem with it. And he was sort of like, I wish you'd told me sooner. So I, so I wasn't, busy making that mistake all these years. I'm paraphrasing. I don't think it was said in that way, but that really struck me because it was like, this person didn't even know. And this is so tiny, but it reminds me of when I was young, my mom thought that, um, it would be good for us to switch to soy milk for health. And I really hated it. I really hated soy milk. I drank soy milk for a year, Violet, like for a year in cereal every single day, because I wanted approval. Like I wanted her to like me or I wanted her to love me or I wanted to do what she said. And, um, after a year, I finally, I think she asked me or I made a face. I don't remember. I was pretty little, like seven. And it, it, somehow it came up and I was like, I don't really like soy milk. And she was like, Oh, we don't have to drink it anymore. Like she honestly didn't know. And so we stopped drinking soy milk, but that has always stuck with me because it was such a long time. It was such a long time. And I was sacrificing my own like taste for a year because I wanted the love. I wanted the approval. And I was a, a bit afraid of what would happen if I said I didn't like it. I thought I would lose that love. And so I think losing love, losing affection is such a powerful um, 
uh, whatever, like bond to, uh, to us, to a boundary, setting a boundary or not. And the other thing that I wanted to say about a reason I didn't was because I was worried about my mom. I was one of the only emotional supports that she had in her life. I was worried that setting a boundary would kind of compromise her, um, her ability, her ability to thrive. And I, I have seen that repeatedly in our clients that they, uh, especially in romantic relationships, they might be afraid to leave, leave a woman or stop relating with a woman because she doesn't really have anyone else in her life. And I guess I just want to say that besides being a red flag, which absolutely that's a red flag, you need to remember that the person you're dealing with is a grown ass person. This is a grown ass man or a grown ass woman. If, if you're you know, an adult listening to this podcast, this is not a child. This is not actually someone that you are emotionally responsible for. That's a whole other conversation. But in terms of, let's say my mother, I was not responsible for her, but I felt responsible for her emotional safety and health. And I think that happens a lot in dysfunctional families. There's some weird enmeshment things happening where you feel like, oh, I'm the only person this person talks to, or I'm whatever, you have this kind of relationship. That's a red flag. That person is a grown ass person. If that person wants to join a support group, they can. That person wants to get a therapist, they can. If that person wants to read a book or listen to a podcast or reach out to a friend, they can. They are their own person having their own life and you get to choose whether you're relating with them or not. And if they take action to self-harm because you quote unquote left them or something happened, you took space for yourself. That is not your responsibility. That is not your responsibility. That is not your responsibility. I really want to make that clear because I think that it becomes this thing of like, oh, it was my fault that this happened. No, that, that can be a reason that blocks you from setting a boundary. Don't let it. That person is a grown ass person. They're an adult. They're making their own decisions and they're on their own journey. Amen. So this feels like a good sort of point to wrap up. Is there any last advice you have for anyone out there considering setting new boundaries this season of the year? Two things. One of which is there's a book called The Mind Body Code, which is a pretty big book, but he talks about where emotions are embodied emotion and exalted emotion versus embodied dysfunction. And he talks a lot about the key wounds of abandonment, rejection, and betrayal. But one of the things he talks about is uh, guilt and how guilt is when we violate someone else's rule of belonging. So guilt is something we feel that we're going to be kicked out of the tribe. And it goes really deep in our nervous system. But when we can remember, that doesn't have to be my rule of belonging. Maybe my family of origin's rule of belonging is that if you don't go to mass on Christmas, you're going to burn in hell. But maybe your own personal rule of belonging is that everyone gets to worship spirit and God the way that they want to in the form that they want to. And you're not going to judge them. And if they judge you, like, that's okay. You have a different rule of belonging. So you can create your own group of belonging. And even if in that moment, you're afraid of not belonging, you will find your family of choice and you can find your family of choice with beliefs and values and behaviors and all of those other things. And then the second thing is that sometimes it is about saying, I don't want to talk about X, Y, Z, but sometimes it's also just about not divulging or going into it. If someone asks now, if they're continually asking, it's fine to say, you know, I really just don't want to talk about that. But if someone says, cause I have clients ask all the time, like, well, what should I say if I go home and people ask if I'm still single, 
you can say, yeah, I'm, I'm single and I'm loving it. I'm talking to a bunch of different people and getting to know what I really want and what I don't want so that I create a healthy relationship and don't end up with someone that it doesn't work out with. And it's kind of a snarky way if someone asking you has gone through divorces or gone through, you know, hard times, not that you're trying to be snarky, but you're saying, yes, I am still single. And here's why I'm working on myself. I'm making intentional choices. So sometimes part of the boundary is really claiming why, um, why you value and believe what you do. So if someone said, come to mass with me, uh, why aren't you coming to mass? Do you believe in God anymore? You could say, you know what? I'm not going to mass, but I absolutely believe in God and spirit. And I have a really deep spiritual practice. Would you like to hear more about it? And normally they'll say, no. (laughs) (laughs) I also like, um, when someone says, are you know, are you still seeing, are you seeing anyone you can say, wouldn't you like to know? And then just leave the room, like not yeah. with it, like just exit. Um, the last quote I wanted to read was, "If you're if you're not an asshole in someone else's story, you probably don't have healthy boundaries." And I like that one because, again, it goes back to the willingness to be seen as an asshole in someone else's narrative. I think is a prerequisite to being an adult. We have to be able to tolerate being seen as unlikable, annoying, um, selfish, whatever the word is in someone else's narrative and, and be able to hold that in our nervous system and hold the deeper yes, which is, I want to thrive. I want to feel safe. I get to feel good. I get to be around people I love that care about me where I feel seen and I feel understood. And many times that's our chosen family and not necessarily our family of origin. So, and that quote is from my friend, Alistair Moose, who runs an anger management uh, program in Vancouver, mainly for men, but for lots of different people. And he has amazing ideas and, and insights about boundaries. And I think it's important to recognize that boundaries and anger are linked. So if you have a hard time accessing your anger, you're probably going to have a hard time accessing boundaries and vice versa. The more that you access your boundaries, the more you can feel your anger cleanly and not take it on yourself or on someone else. Yes. And that's definitely something that we work with our clients on a lot is clean, healthy anger. And I actually think that the masculine needs more of it. Clean, healthy anger, not toxic, angry. I mean, sorry, toxic sort of passive aggression or dysfunctional. Okay. So uh, that's our episode. If you are interested in learning more and working with um, Jason and me, which I think I've been getting a lot of reach outs. I wanted to make that easier. So if you just go to evolutionary.men slash training, then you can take a free training and get more of a feel for the work that Jason and I do and then see if it's a fit for you. So evolutionary.men slash training, and we will catch you next time. And if you'd like to work on your boundaries or your interpersonal dynamics and your relationships, or even with yourself and your sensuality, I work with women on relationships, sensuality, intimacy, feminine energy, and you can go to violetlang.com forward slash talk to set up a call with me. Mm